Hello everyone and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for mums and women in business who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insights and joy. I, your host, mum and effortless lifestyle coach Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners and creatives about what it takes to have a business and life you can fully enjoy. So today I get to interview the amazing JP Morgan. Give me the lever of your mind and I will move your world. And this is what he does for his clients, the entrepreneurs and the artists. All of them that he coaches share an aspiration for excellence and obsession with mastery, which is something that he does too. If he's not in the CrossFit gym, he's being coached by some of the most amazing coaches in the world. And that's the thing I love about JP, because ever since I met him all those years ago, I have seen him grow, evolve, and still have the tenacity for more. And in today's episode, we talked about shoulding. And the conversation took an incredible turn, actually, because we, it went from shoulding in general to shoulding in parenting and how that can impact our children. So if you are leading a life of obligation and you are a parent, then this is going to be a great episode for you to shift the shoulding to wanting for more joy in your life. So happy listening. So hi, JT. I'm so glad to have you on this podcast here today. And all today we are talking about stop shoulding and start living. You know, as this podcast is called The Joy of Being, I'm really curious about that title and, and actually what your experience has been of that and whether you're, you're experimenting with not shooting as much. So I'm really curious yeah. why this is an important subject to be talking about and why, you know, you chose to, why we decided to use it today. Yeah, I'm glad that you saw that post I did about it. And I, as I was always, I've been trying to condense what I have to say into 60 seconds because that's what Instagram allows you to do for a video. So I've always had I've always had a lot more to say. So I love that we have the chance to talk about it. And I think the when I read the title of your podcast and you reached out to me, the joy of being just felt I was like yes when I just saw the title because I mean that's really been my orientation like my whole life, less consciously than it probably is now. But like I've always just wanted to enjoy the present moment. I wear a necklace that has a symbol for as the Chinese symbol for now. You can see. Yeah. Maybe you could put a snapshot photo of it along with the podcast. Yeah, but yeah. It means now or today in Chinese. And I wear that around my neck because it's actually the only thing that's real. And it's just a reminder for me. The only thing that exists is this moment, right? And thus, if that's the only thing that exists, then I want that with joy. I want to enjoy now. I want to have joy in every moment of being. And so, like, that's why I was excited to talk about it. And everything that I create and share is serving that, really. And so, should not shooting on yourself is because when you do, that's not very enjoyable. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine, like, I'm thinking of the metaphor, which I use intentionally. It's like, stop shooting on yourself. Stop taking a should. Because it's like that. It's like you literally are crapping on yourself when you use the word should because it takes you out of the moment. If there's a should, then there must be something else outside of time that's also true and that exists. And it just zaps you into that non-existent future and then you're not there anymore. And that's there's a reason why we don't enjoy ourselves when we're thinking about the about things we should do. It's because I think it just disconnects us from, from what is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Disconnects us from what is. Yeah. So I'd love you to elaborate because I'm thinking, you know, someone that's listening to this podcast is a business owner. 
mainly mums, women, people that, you know, obviously have things that they need to get done. So I'm curious about how we we go about our lives being in this present moment when there's things that we probably don't want to do, but we have to do. So I don't know, like you and I are parents, right? So there are many times, like the certainly things, I don't want to do that, but um, I've got to for the very sake mm. of my son. So I'm curious about, you know, if we stop shooting, how is that really possible, actually? Because yeah. we if we want to get anything done, there are things that we're going to have to do that we don't necessarily want to do that we haven't done. And then we're going, oh, I should really do that. So I'm curious, how does that work in the real world? Yeah, so there's two layers to it. I should really do that. I'll give two main reasons why uh, it's, it's bullshit and it's not useful. The first reason that I should really do something is not useful is because it's what I call an abdication of responsibility. The moment I acknowledge something, okay, I'm present to it. But then if I start saying I should do that, then I'm actually deferring my responsibility to actually just act on it. So talking about it as a should is spending time talking about the potential to do it with, with like blame instead of just doing it. So that, that in itself is just like shooting in yourself. Like I should not do that. I should do this. Well, just either do it or let it go. So that's the first thing. And then on a deeper level, going back to what you're saying before about like, well, there are things that I need to do. Like I need to feed my son. He's only three years old and he needs to eat. It's, that's what I call turning your want to's into have to's. There's no such thing as need. Need doesn't even exist. It's an illusion. It's a, an idea that we put on top of a desire when we attach to it because we're afraid that if we don't, we're not okay. And so people do this all the time. They have a, a list. They make a list of things they want to do. And then... The next day they wake up in the morning and they look at it like, oh my God, I have to do all this stuff. And so it was born from desire and then it comes into some form in their head or on paper. And all of a sudden it, be- it becomes a prison. I always say like the only thing worse than having a boss is being your own. It's like creating this idea that you want and then all of a sudden being, being a slave to it. And if we just didn't do that, if we could just remember that things we wrote down on this list were actually, are actually there because they come from our deepest heart's desire that actually we want, we want it to be done. We want to do it. Even if it's like vacuuming the house, who'll bring the house? Okay, I need to who with the house. Well, actually, I want to who the house because I want to have a clean house. So there's like levels of, of causality behind all these things we're thinking and needs that, are, that always end at an actual desire. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be relating to it. We wouldn't be thinking about it. So I need to feed my son because I want my son to be healthy and stay alive. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't need to. I want to. And the moment we remove, we move the needle from need back to want we reconnect with our heart and it actually feels good we're back in the flow it's when we forget that that we start that we should on ourselves <laughs> and we lose the connection to joy i love that and, and what i what i'm what i like really heard in what you said was you know we create this list and then become a slave to it it's so crazy right it's like a bit like the idea of you know creating a business or having a child and then thinking that you're the slave to that very thing that you've created when in actual fact it's not true right like we've created we've become the slave to our own thinking and to our own illusion that that there's something outside of us that can actually make us feel that way so where does this idea of need come from like is that something that we're handed down is that like why is it that we just can't enjoy because effectively who we really are is all about joy and love and creation 
in expansion. So where where does this? I don't know where it comes from. The Buddhists talk about the idea of attachment, which is when desire gets kind of like mixed with fear, and it's this thing that if I don't have it, I'm not okay. And it's like this. Maybe it's the fear of death. Like I need to not die. It's this. I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's animal or if it's human. It might just be a a human suffering, right? This like the bite out of the apple, the separation from source and from God, and this fear that I, if I, I that I need to return to it. I'm not safe if I don't. I don't know where it comes from. But what I do know very well is what the experience of need is and how to return. We could say or to to the place before need or to let go of the idea that I need. And need exists mostly, from my experience, in thought. Like, if we don't have the thought that I need, then we don't have the experience that I need. That's how I have a, a, there's a good clue to me that it's only made up, it's all made up. And so, you know, I'm a fan of both, which I think, and know that you are too, of both being able to witness thought as just this thing that's occurring, that's not actually who I am. And I'm also a fan, at the same time, of, of wielding thought in service of that ability to witness and, and, and in service of that freedom. And so one of the things that I do besides kind of meditate and kind of try to help myself be witness to thought, I also use thought like in a sense of mantra or affirmation or declaration where I will remind myself of ideas that are useful. And so one of the things that I remind myself often is I am that I do not need. So I do not need, I do not need. So that just becomes a way of being for me and that pattern of thought becomes useful and normal and so actually the word starts not showing up in my life or when i say something that oh i need so like, oh actually i do not need and so it just reminds me it's a way of like snapping myself out of the matrix of need that i was inculcated in through culture and through uh, however i learned it growing up so what's your journey been with this because obviously this is a, a an important aspect of you wanting to share this message and I'm curious about what your journey has been with it because obviously there's been a journey right and I'm curious as to where you were like shooting because I'm I'm sure that there are lots of listeners who are going to be it happens all the time it's not like it's past tense for me it's a constant like becoming less and less of a shooter less and less of a needer you know, it's just because I have the, wouldn't that be amazing if you could just listen to this podcast and get the idea and then you never feel like you need anything or should anything ever again, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately, yeah, but you no, know, but I, but since I've kind of seen these things, it's been a, it's been a slow unwinding and the lessening of it. When you said like, what's the journey been? I just kind of flashed back to my twenties when I was traveling, kind of really coming to see this for the first time in my mid twenties. And that's where I got this necklace, actually, um, it was like 15 years ago. And it was a kind of an off-ramp from being caught up in thought and looking for joy on the outside. You know, it was when I realized that by shifting my relationship to things like need and uh, attachments and shoulds could actually literally generate joy in that present moment without anything changing the external world. That was the beginning of a lifelong journey of, of generating joy as a state of being just through my awareness, just within my mind in a moment. And so once I could see that that was possible, it's like, that's the only thing that I really wanted to learn about because that's the kind of, what's more important than that? What's more important than being happy all the time? And for years, as I started, as I stumbled on that into my, in my early twenties, or mid twenties, my early, and for years I told myself, and I actually told others this, like, I think I'm the happiest guy I know. 
I like literally am the happiest guy I know because I just, life just didn't present that many issues for me. And yeah, I felt lucky that I didn't have circumstances that would create that. But I also knew that like I was just having a role to play in that by how I choose to think about things, by what thoughts I chose to engage in and what thoughts I didn't, my, how my perspective fed into that being happy. And it's funny because for years I said that until I'd stumbled into this world called personal development. And I was saying that a few people said to me, Oh, I don't know. Maybe you should do landmark form. Everybody's got issues. Maybe you should, I don't think you should say that. That can't be true that you're the happiest guy, you know? And I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not the happiest guy, you know? And I stopped saying it for a while, for, for years, actually, throughout my thirties. And, uh, it wasn't until earlier this year with my current coach that that came up in conversations like, well, wow, why would you stop saying that? And then at that point, I realized that saying to myself i am the happiest guy i know was actually similar to saying things like i do not need and similar thing to saying things like i am not my thoughts it actually not only was it a description but it was actually creating my experience so it was a thing called a, like a confirmation bias if i were to tell myself i'm the happiest guy i know i'd find evidence for that in my thoughts in my experience of life and so i returned to speaking it again because of the joy it creates in my being to to have that thought show up. Yeah. Kind of curious about when you said, because what I'm really hearing you say is, is that joy is an inside job. Like there's nothing on the outside that can give us that joy. And I think for, for quite a few of the listeners here, they might be thinking, well, surely that's not the case. Like surely my child gives me joy or surely, you know, making that sale gives me joy. Surely, yeah. So I'm curious about that. Um, mm -hmm. Is that like the illusion that the sun, you know, actually rises and, and there's a sunset when it actually doesn't do that? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. It's kind of like there's the objective and, and the subjective. There's like the ontological and epistemological. There's the, there's like, I say, the, the tangible and the experienced, right? So I think both are there, but we live inside the one in which we experience, right? So it's not like the sun isn't there and there's no stuff, but like our, it's our perceptive position that creates that. And so anything, like if my wife says something and I get really excited and I'm like, yeah. And then she's like, no, 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 you misheard me. I said that like your cat died or something. I'm like, oh, so it's like, wait a minute. Was the experience on the outside joyful or not joyful? It's like, oh, well, I'm the one determining whether something is joyful based on how I understand it and interpret it. And therefore I'm actually the one generating the joy based on my experience that like by the way, my I'm thinking or not thinking, I am actually the creator of everything that I'm experiencing. That's something that I live by. It's kind of an existentialist philosophy, but it is to me the most true thing I've ever discovered is that, like, I am constantly creating my experience. There are circumstances and there are outside things, but how those actually hit me are determined by how I, see them how i hear them and that seeing and hearing is not passive it's active it takes into account everything that i've ever learned or experienced throughout my life my whole neural network in my brain is influencing everything including the light that comes into my eyes and sounds that come into my ears and it's the meaning and it is being created by me and the feeling in my body and you're you're bilingual so you'll, you'll know this when you you know, from between languages, like as soon as you start to learn a second language, your mind goes, holy crap. You mean words don't mean what they mean? They're just like these things. And, you know, it's like you start seeing language so differently once you 
learn a second language because you get how people are actually creating the meanings and everything's made up. And we hold all that inside of our heads and it looks so real. And we're sure we're seeing the outside world as something knocking on the table, but we're seeing it as what we believe is, is there. And so that's why I, I can say that joy is, you could say, using your words, as an inside job because everything's an inside job. So is sadness, so is pain, so is fear, so is anger, all of it. Even that's not right. Yo, Trump's a bad president. I created that just now in my mind. That's, I mean, it's completely inert. It's completely neutral, neutral out there. My opinion of it is generated by me. I mean, others may be generating a similar opinion, but, but it's totally an inside job, all of it. Hmm. That's pretty wacky. If you... I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's something to be said about being, you know, actually being born alone and dying alone and, and actually realizing that that we can kind of have relationships with other people but really we're only ever living in the experience of our thinking in any given moment that really freaks me like when I start to really think about that I'm like oh my god that's so weird <laughs> yeah because I'm only ever experiencing myself like that's so bizarre in 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 because I'm that's how I experience life and other people is through is through my my perception I think so I, I don't also have I mean I agree and I also feel like when we're experiencing love although we're experiencing love through ourself there's like a connectedness that you feel that it's not a loneliness you know what I mean so there's still a way to access that union and that wholeness even through this you know autonomous thinking machine that we're stuck we're each stuck in and that's why I, I also endeavor to have as much, to cultivate as much coherent and loving thinking as I possibly can. I don't know if you saw my Instagram post today, but I put it up, a little post, the picture, and it says, to believe is to be love. Because I learned recently that the Germanic root of the word believe is actually to be love or to love, to hold dear, to love. And which is so interesting because now we take the word believe like, oh, we should only believe in things that we can know and prove. But actually the point of the word was to have faith in something from the heart that you can't know or prove. And for me, that's so beautiful because I want to create beliefs. I want to only believe in things that create a loving experience because if I believe in things that are loving, if I believe I'm loving, if I believe that the world is loving, then I Again, confirmation bias, I see more of that and then I create more loving feelings and I create more loving thoughts. And then even though I'm stuck in this thinking machine or this, this thinking body, I call it, it's having more coherent, loving thoughts. And so I get to have more of that feeling of connection and, and wholeness despite being, you know, in a way cut off. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can definitely have our experience of life and, and not be cut off from it. It doesn't mean that we, you know, it's not an either or. It can be an and from time to time. We can be cut off from it from time to time in the sense that we feel we have the illusion of being cut off from it, but not actually being cut off from it. So, yeah, like, and I'm curious, though, you know, like, I know you and I share the grand role of being parents. And there's nothing like our children to teach us, especially this role of joy, right? Because I'm sure that your son doesn't wake up every morning going, right, I should do this. I should do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Luckily, he hasn't learned that word. No. Um, uh, yeah. I should beat myself up all the time and tell myself that I have so many things I should be doing. 
Um, no. So, yeah, like, it's so funny how we, we kind of are conditioned to sort of think that way when really, if it was true, then children would be saying it and yeah. you'd be showing that to us at a younger, you know, at an early age because they're so in the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. He never shoulds on himself. He shits on himself, but he never shoulds on himself. <laughs> <laughs> now my child shits on itself all the time. Yeah. Loves it. Loves it. It doesn't get embarrassed by yeah. it at all. It's not like no. he should. Like, he lets us know by pulling, putting his hand down in his diaper and pulling it out to show us. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the more we think, the more we say, no, no, and the more he thinks it's funny. So it's getting a bit, yeah. <laughs> we can't tell him we should if, the worst thing would be to tell him he shouldn't do that wouldn't it oh boy yeah because they're just so in the moment with it and they're just experimenting which leads yeah. me on to this question actually um you know we talk about the joy of being but part of this joy of being i think is experimenting right is is like yeah. as kids do is just experimenting like taking your shit out of your nappy yeah. <laughs> and showing people. And I know Leo's done all sorts of other things. Like, I don't know, I bought him a cardboard house that you can paint and draw all over. And I thought it'd be a really nice thing that mommy and Leo could do together. And the other day, he's playing with two friends of his and he decides that rather than actually paint it, he's just going to jump on them. So he basically gets on the sofa and then jumps he just literally jumps on it and the whole thing <laughs> yeah and um you know he loved that experiment he thought that was really funny <laughs> mm, that's so cool i mean i can't even feel in my body my own attachment to that house and, and your idea yeah, so <laughs> right it's like my body is like no that's not there was going to be a beautiful moment of us doing it together and of course i can have those kind of experiences <laughs> with my son it's like that's the thing. It's like, oh, that's the idea. That's my body creating that. It should be different. And then I'm feeling it that way and having more thoughts about it. And just, I think, noticing that that actually that is actually being generated by me. It's not even my son or my cardboard house, right? And I'm feeling it. Right? So <laughs> and anybody listening, don't worry about it. It'll end it well. They, um, oh, yeah. Uh, the cardboard, that cardboard house is still downstairs, um, literally in pieces. But I, you know, what was really interesting is that the illusion of that, creating this massive feeling of disturbance in my body. Mm. <laughs> I was in the kitchen and I just went, no, no, you can't have just done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like a playground, like when my son's playing with other kids, like I was a little bit short in, well, I'm still not that tall, but when I was in, when I was a kid in school, like I picked on a little bit and like didn't have that many friends in uh, elementary school anyway. And I remember like recess for the, being at the playground and, you know, not like being able to play with the other kids and stuff and or getting pushed around by the bigger kids. And, and so that still lives in my body. And when I take my son to the playground, like yesterday, he was standing up waiting to get on the slide. And there were some older kids sitting in front, just like lounging, kind of like blocking the slide. And I could start to feel in my body that same thing that I just felt when you talked about your son jumping on the cardboard. It's like, that's not fair. They should move. And I started thinking, wait a minute. And at first I was like, maybe I should tell these kids they should move it or look for their parents. And in my head, I'm like, how do I know that my son needs to go down the slide? And then I realized that he was just having so much fun watching the older kids. And he was so curious about what they were doing sitting there. And it was like, 
if I had told him to move, it would have completely interrupted. Like he was just, you know, he didn't have what I had. And so for me being really present to what's showing up in my body and that's creating these thoughts about should is super important as a parent, because otherwise I'm just going to give him all of the stuff that I have. Like, although, and then I'm just the kids in the playground that were pushing me and now I'm pushing him. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so having that moment to really see that and feel that I think is super important for, to maintain my own joy of being, but as a parent, even more so to make sure that I don't get in the way of my son's joy of being. That's really interesting because I'd never really sort of looked at it that way, especially from the perspective of what my son shouldn't and shouldn't be doing, should and shouldn't be doing, right? So I should myself, and, and recently not, not as much as I used to. In fact, um, I'm doing less of that because I just think it's, I, I've, it caught, I've, I've kind of caught myself doing it. Yeah, I guess I've just caught myself doing it. And I was like, oh, there's not much point in doing that. It's just, if, what it's really doing is just wasting a lot of my energy and time in a, in a, in a life that's so beautiful already. But what I'm really hearing you say, and this is something that I hadn't really thought about, was how my own shoulds and shouldn'ts can affect my son, right? So it's not just about how it affects us, but then how we transmit that on others. And, you know, it comes down to good boy and bad boy, good girl and good, good boy, you know, good girl. Yeah, that kind of thing. Because it's really in that same domain of what you shouldn't and should be doing, like rules and regulations based on how you see life. Ooh, and what comes to me, do you remember The the Prophet by Khalil Gibran? I do. I love that. Your children are not yours. Yeah. Can you read it? Yeah. Can, you, can you get it from the end? Can you pick it up? And just I can probably pick it up, yeah. Let's I see. love it's that. Such it's such a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Let's see how fast I can get it. And it was funny. I was, I was at an, uh, my aunt's place a few weeks ago, and well, she's actually a second cousin. And I don't really know her all that well. And I basically looked at her. I looked at her library, and I saw that she had the prophet. What was really interesting is I opened it, and I opened it that page. <laughs> oh, wow. Here it is. Ready? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Go for it. The title is On Children by Khalil Gibran. Mm -hmm. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I've just got goosebumps all over my body and I'm kind of like really welling up with like. Your children are not your children. That's like simultaneously beautiful and difficult, right? Like, because uh, I get it and, and sometimes I'm in it and I get it's like all about letting go and 
um, be their own, but I just don't want to let go. Right? <laughs> yeah, and what's it's really, like, yeah, you know what's interesting is that um, this whole theme around shouldn't, should, and, and what they shouldn't, shouldn't do. And what I've noticed is when I let Leo just be who he is without interfering, his, intu- his intuition's right there and then, like, you know, he's in that space. And it's only when I get riled up that he starts to get riled up too, right? So he's mm-hmm. just, and, I, and I've really seen that recently is the less I interfere, the less I need to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cup, no, my wife, who was your good friend, obviously, um, was mentioning yesterday to me how she was talking with our nanny about taking time with Asher and not rushing him because we had been talking about how he hits us more, like he's in this hitting phase, like when he's not happy, like lashes out, just hits swats at me and swats at her, but he doesn't really hit it. Calvin, and we were saying, oh, that's because he's got this motherly bond with you. And she, and she was pointing at the nanny and telling me, it's not that, it's because I don't rush him. When, I, when it's time to get in the stroller, I tell him we're gonna get in the stroller soon. And he just takes his time and I give him, some, give him a chance. And I'm present and more patient with him than you guys are, you guys just kind of, do it and pick him up and put him in and so he gets agitated it's too sensitive and it's too fast for him and so i think that's where i was you know that's i'm seeing similar now in my own parenting like how i can slow down more and be more present because this thing i think he's doing called hitting that he's that's his maybe it's actually mine because i'm quote unquote you know hitting him by moving him fast I'm, i'm like i'm hitting him with my ideas about what needs to happen now and it's that energy of hit the hitting energy that that comes out in actual physical hitting from his arms, but actually I'm creating it through my belief that we need to, we need to hit the moment. It needs to, needs to be now. Right. Yeah. I so relate to that, you know, and I've noticed that with Leo's behavior, which is he used to do a lot of fighting and he used to bite me. He still does from time to time. He decides that he wants to bite my bottom when I'm in the kitchen, but he bites <laughs> really, like it's full on. Right. But he's just doing it. Yeah. This time he's just playing. Like there's been a big shift around it. Like before it would be like just his way of expressing himself. And Mm -hmm. because they can't use words and because they have these really big emotions, it's the only way they know how to release it, right? Yeah. And you're you're the one they can do it to. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He would go and do it to other kids as well. And I've been reading your posts about this and, and the ma- it's been really helpful for me too because I don't, I don't get it all the time um, and I lose myself. And I think the one place, and this, this conversation has been really enlightening for me actually, mm. um, that I haven't seen my shoulds and shouldn'ts has been with him. Like I'm pretty yeah. self-aware about me in the sense of me and my marina world, but not when mm-hmm. it comes to Leo because I'm in that moment, just so engrossed in the, mm. the, 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 the attachment and the control mm-hmm. of wanting to mm-hmm. control his outcome yeah. and, and all of my beliefs around what he should, shouldn't be doing. So yeah. it's been really, your posts have really helped actually, JP. I know I haven't mentioned that, that I've been, you know, reading them, but um. Yeah, I have. I'm um, me too, and 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 you know, wisdom has shown up for me to stop and read, and get some clarity and insight into that. Um, because I don't know about you, but like, funny how where this conversation's gone actually, and I'm really loving it because this. Mm. I didn't know that we were going to be talking about. We don't want to shut on our kids, right? That's like that's where we've gone. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And and what's really interesting about this was that I didn't realize how much conditioning I had um, around what I thought to be good and bad, what I thought behavior should be or shouldn't be until I had a child. Um, because until you have a child, you don't know that. You don't know your own conditioning of how you were conditioned. And it's yeah. so interesting. My parenting style is, I've stood there in moments and gone, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, Same. wow. And, and so all of this unconscious behavior has shown up that I didn't even realize I had. And it's been an unraveling of a whole new area of my life and a whole new area of personal thinking that I didn't even know I had because it had just been made dormant because I wasn't a mother, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been an unraveling of, of seeing my own insecurity and then having an insight about that and then coming back to myself again and then kind of, once again, the, the, the insecurity showing up about shouldn't, should, and then coming back to having another insight. And so as these insights have been coming, my head's got more quiet as the time has gone on. And as a result, the relationship that I now have with Leo is much more one of joy and less of control and manipulation, which I never even knew I had. Mm. Yeah, it's like a close relationship with a partner or a kid, like any situation where like you're not, it's like container and you're like kind of stuck with it for a while and, and there's a lot of intense love, right? By the way. <laughs> yeah. Not for a while, it's until you die, really. Um, that, that's yeah, no, that's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah, the relationship forever, for you know, but at least them being around every day too and being faced with it constantly is... Huh. and uh yeah it brings up it brings up a lot what did you just pick your nose i do i told you i was going to <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't really a pick it was a rub from the outside it was more a rub on the side yeah yeah, yeah. giving it a good you know, name <laughs> i have a good i should not put my finger in my nose during a podcast running somewhere in the background um, <laughs> I wanted to share this earlier, so I'll use this weird interlude as a place to bring it in. In A Course in Miracles, there's a line that I've always remembered that goes something like, you are not alone in your seeing of the world. You are not alone in your seeing of the world. And within the context of that, um, I understood it to mean that the way that we're actually experiencing our reality because of how we're seeing things, that creates an experience in our body that presses outward into the world and impacts others. So if I see what my son's doing or not doing as something that should be different, I'm not alone in that seeing. I actually impact him just by my choice to see it that way. And he feels it. Even if I don't open my mouth, he'll feel it through my vibrations of my skin or my perspiration or my voice tone or the way I move or, or jerk or don't move. He, he will experience my seeing. And so if I want him to not experience the shoulds i have to not only stop saying it out loud with my mouth but i have to stop saying it in my head i have to let go of the idea so much that it stops showing up because it's only then that 
that neither of us will be experiencing it. I can't experience it without him experiencing it. Just, you know, that being a mother, like everything that's in you, he gets, he feels it on some level, right? And so we want to eradicate these ideas as much as possible. And if you try too hard, you'll make them come more. So it's a bit of a paradox in eradicating certain types of thinking. Yeah, and what I'm also hearing for somebody, like, because what immediately jumped out at me was the sense of, like, to be kind to yourself, too. Because I think mm -hmm. we may not have been even aware of the fact that we were doing it, and then we can become aware mm -hmm. of the fact that we have been doing it. And then there is this sense of, like, oh, God, now I can't do it. And then you find yourself doing it, and then you beat yourself up about, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done yeah. that. <laughs> there it is, right? I shouldn't I should. should. That. That's the double that's the double judgment. That's like the that's actually the worst. People beat themselves up for beating themselves up. It's like, oh boy. Yeah. I slap myself because I slap myself. Does that work? <laughs> Not yeah. really too long to make it right. So there's a sense of like if someone's listening to this and you know, I don't know, like for me, anyone listening to this podcast today, um, you know, whether you've heard something for yourself and had an insight about what John and I have been talking about, um, there is something like around, if you have done it, I know I have, and I know that I probably keep doing it, um, but over time it will become less and less as I might get more quiet and I have more insight. It's okay. Like, I think it's also important for our kids to see that we're just human. I mean, you know, the joy of being isn't just about being spiritual it's also about being human and being human can be messy and we're all in yeah. this movement together right because if it's not you saying he should or shouldn't do something it might be his teacher or it might be a friend or it might be the parent of it uh -huh. and so it's almost like don't use this as another reason to should yourself um, exactly yeah that's what i was going to say the first place you want to stop shooting is around telling yourself you should not use the word should <laughs> like literally i don't sound I'm funny really but it's actually the most, now, right? it's the most important place like if, if i catch myself saying should and if and in that moment i don't smile or laugh i'm fucked <laughs> like the the only thing i can do the only way to more joy is to just when i notice the should is to just is to be kind like you said to be okay with it to fully welcome embrace it to be grateful and thankful that i was even aware and that's like, that's moving towards the light. Otherwise, it's just putting shit on top of shit. Shit on top of shit is shit on top of shit. It's like, that's the work. You don't want to do that. Yeah. And I think so, sometimes we, we can get really obsessed with not saying those things. And I just wanted to bring that to light because mm. it can be this now new rule that you've made for yourself. And when you break it, it's well, more shoulds. More shoulds, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, I have this image of how the perfect mother that I want to be, and I don't really can't like. Here is me doing Marina and mothering, and I'm sure, I don't know mm -hmm. if it's like this, John, for you, but and then there is deity mother, <laughs> mm. deity affair, and then never does anything wrong. She's just there, loving and kind, and embracing every single moment, and just mm -hmm. letting her child be who they are all of the time disregarding the fact that you might feel shit one day or that you haven't slept for three days because they've been ill or that your consciousness lowers because yeah you've just been having a bit of a human day right um and I'm so aware of that like I you know the last year for me has been a big thing and awareness and just being kind and compassionate towards myself when 
I don't do things the way I want to do them or they come out in the, in, in totally the way I, I didn't want it to come out and, and I see the effects on Leo. But something that I'm one of my mentors shared with me, which has been so useful and I think might be useful in this conversation is um, he said to me, you know, we always go up and down in the human experience. It's like up and down, up and down, up and down. But it's actually how long we stay in the down. Like if I stay a long, long time in the down, that's going to have much more of of an effect on Leo than if I don't stay that long there. So like, Mm -hmm. because he can see that we're, he experiences that too. He gets pissed off, angry, upset, right? Like Mm -hmm. he does. I'm sure your kid does too. And yeah, of course. Part of that experience of being human and, not to belittle it in any way, but also realizing that um, the power isn't in not doing it. The power comes from not staying there for very long. Right. Absolutely. And in my relationship with Kalpna, the early years, we'd get an argument and be mad all day and sometimes wake up the next day mad. And like, and over the years of doing this kind of work, just in that one relationship, it's great because you can see like the same situation shows up and the time that you're upset or bothered by it just got shorter and shorter and it went to hours and now like 95 percent of the time almost 99 like it literally is like minutes like i've and as the moment we kind of can become aware it just dissolves and so like you know it's not that we don't have stuff that like we don't push each other's buttons it, it doesn't get but it doesn't get to the place that it used to and it doesn't last it just doesn't last anymore so those times get shorter and shorter and shorter and I think that's the, you know, if I can, the rest of my life, just keep shortening them. I'm okay with being human, but, you know, be a suffering human less would be nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't that, isn't that? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think that income, because they, because if someone was listening, you know, any, any of the listeners were thinking, oh, but, you know, what if it's not me that's shooting all over the place or my son, but there are other people that are doing that, you know, what would you say to that? What would you, how would you speak to that? Because it's kind of like, oh, but I'm should, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more aware. But then I see my grandparents, you know, the grandparents who are maybe not as conscious doing that all over their plate, you know. First thing I would do is I would notice that I shouldn't have a should that my, nobody should around my kid. <laughs> and I shouldn't have a should, you know, like, and also like, if you, because your children are not yours right but then also just knowing that he is going to have or she is going to have a married of influences throughout his entire life and all the only chance i have is to be maybe the loudest voice for this period of time um you know there are things that i learned from my father that have patterns of thinking that i have that i learned from my dad just growing up around him he was an entrepreneur i grew up watching him be an entrepreneur and so despite going to 12 years of school where i was you know inculcated with industrialized thinking about getting a job I even went to university and i got out and despite my desire like got a job for six weeks then i just i couldn't handle it i went back to being an entrepreneur as i was when i was a kid so and i've always been since then because that was the loudest voice in me from a young age and so hopefully if we can be a loud enough voice that you know liberates uh or not even liberates that has us has our kids see that they don't need to should and they don't need to need um then Hopefully that will stay that way, and and we can't, you know, we can't get too attached to that. That's another should, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Isn't it so insidious? You don't even notice you're doing it, right? It's like my should, my son should not should. 
He's like, oh, there you go. You Good should, luck with you, that. You know what you should do? You should write a poem about that. Some sort of short story about the shitting. <laughs> I don't know. That's we'll see what we'll do. see what comes. That's what you should do. <laughs> yeah. So, what are you giving yourself permission to do more of in life at the moment? Create more honestly and boldly to talk about myself and my work without holding back at all about what I know the impact of it is. I've never ever put many attention on my brand until recently. I've always just worked on the craft, which I love, and it's still my focus, but be able to talk about my work in a way that has people actually understand who I am and what I do and the level of impact that I can have on people. So it's it's a bit it's been edgy for me. And so I've been meeting a lot of shoulds where I shouldn't say that or I shouldn't do this and just uh, challenging those ideas and allowing things to unfold and people to have their own experiences and even past clients are getting a little jarred by the way I'm talking about things now. Wait, wait I thought that's what that's not what you do. And so it's just interesting to watch to watch that. And so and I'm having fun with it, feeling a lot more free. Well, you gave yourself a nasal massage on, on the podcast today. So Oh yeah. I think I think that's um <laughs> it's definitely whatever you're doing is definitely working. Um, cool. <laughs> I love it. A nasal massage. I'm gonna say that next time I watch this stop picking me up. It's a nasal massage. <laughs> yeah. And who says I shouldn't be able to have give myself a nasal massage on a day right. makes me breathe better. What about giving yourself permission to do stuff that not many people know about? Like for me, not a lot of people know unless I tell them that I have a a secret give yourself permission to binge watch a really good Netflix TV show. So like <laughs> I can go for hours now that I've actually, you know, don't have my son all the time. I have been known to become very addicted to just switch off from the world and not want mm. to know and just get my head into a really great show. Mm. So yeah, I'm curious. Seeing as we're talking about the edge and bringing yourself more into the brand, yeah. what are, what are well, I mean, I don't know that like there, that in that realm, like kind of self-care, self-love, do things for yourself has always been my like strength. And I've kind of never held back in any of that. So there's not like a something that comes to mind in that domain. It's really more about expression and where I meet the world. And because my kind of core deep fear is like, you know, not being liked or ruffling people's feathers or having people be pissed off. And so you know, giving myself permission to piss people off, giving myself permission to not be liked is the edgy place for me. And, yeah. I really like sure. that. And so what are you doing to kind of experiment with that? Like, what is it that you're, you know, what are, what are some of the things you're finding, surprising yourself with that you're doing that you wouldn't have done before? Well, like talking about, like, I'm, I'm in really right in the midst of it right now, like launching a new copy for a program that I'm doing and talking about my work as, who it's for being able to talk about money and prosperity and wealth, things that I've always enjoyed and valued, but I've kind of kept my cards close and not talked about it too much, not shown that side of myself. So being able to speak about that kind of thing publicly and give me an example. I'm curious actually. I'm curious. But just to say like I I want to work with people who are wealthy, who are powerful, who are successful, you know, who understand what money can do who want to make lots and lots of money. And those are the people that I enjoy working with. I like staying at five-star hotels and going to five-star restaurants. And I like massive yachts and these kinds of things that have always been 
something that I valued, but I've, I've kind of haven't really put that out there in the world, kind of try to make myself look like more of the common man. Cause I have that. I like being close to the ground too. I've spent lots of time traveling on a budget backpacking and living in, you know, close to the earth. And I like being in the wilderness and getting dirty, but so, you know, it's just the full story and being able to show all of that, you know, and there's also, there's an aspect of my personality that's loud, aggressive, abrasive, and sometimes it rubs people the wrong way. And, and over the years, I mean, I started off that way, sharing that full breadth of who I am, cursing, just like letting it rip on YouTube and putting videos out. And then over the years of doing that, I started to build up a following, a few thousand people. And then I started to hold back from that way because I was afraid of ruffling the feathers of the chickens that I've gathered, we could say, right? Not that I mean to call people watching my YouTube channel chickens, but you get the metaphor. And so even that, like I just caught that right there. I, my voice tone just started to drop. You get the metaphor, right? And what happened right there was I noticed that I called the people that watch my YouTube channel chickens. And I started to judge myself for what would people think if they saw that I called them chickens. And so I tried to, you know, make it okay by just talking about it. So, but that, 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 so that edge right there, that texture of like, being apologetic for anything that I say when it's coming from my truth and from spirit, that's the edge I'm looking to move beyond. And whenever I notice it, just say, "Ah, oh, fuck that. Who cares? Like it's their shit. They have got a problem with it. It's theirs. As long as I'm coming from my heart and my love, just trusting that. And that, that if that ruffles somebody the wrong way, it does. And if they come back to me, I'll deal with that then. Otherwise it's theirs. Letting people have their own stuff. Yeah. I really resonate with what you've just said, JP, because actually I've been on a very similar journey because when you were talking about yachts and money and people that have it and so forth, I've kind of, I know quite a few of us that, that are in that space and that we're just as happy being in the wilderness and, and, and not, you know, having a shower for a couple of days and well, at least, and <laughs> walking around in flip flops and um, singing mantras, but also perfectly happy sitting on a five, you know, on a big yacht and having, lush dinners and so forth and I've coined it a capitalist hippie basically <laughs> we love and embrace money um we love moving in those circles and yet we love to express ourselves freely and do so in a way that you know we can do so because we have the money that allows us to do it in a way that we don't have all this kind of sense of like oh you know I don't have right. to be able to be creative and free and I love the fact that you realize it's so interesting, right? That somehow, somehow we think we've been sharing that with everybody because we've been kind of having that conversation in our heads. Yeah. And then realizing, actually, no, we haven't. No, we haven't at all. Yeah. Mm. Like even just a small word, like, you know, as you said, the elite. Or, right. And uh, really interesting, the words that we start to use when we want to attract those sorts of people into our lives, right? For sure. Like when I get on a plane, and I walk through like, you know, first class or whatever the premium economy, like I feel at home and not that I'm paying for it typically, but I feel at home in first class on the Virgin plane and I feel pretty at home in premium. And then I, and then I get into economy. I'm like, this isn't really, I mean, I'm just, I'm here, but it's not really my home. <laughs> so there's like, <laughs> you know, there's like this, it, so, so there's something in that, right? There's something true for me. And I think it's an ex my capacity. I've been there before. I like that. And so it's just about honoring that truth of that resonance, both in my feeling, but also in what I'm speaking and what I'm doing and allowing and not being apologetic about it and allowing people to think whatever they want to think and 
people probably weren't going to think that bad about it. I'm just, I was just worried that they would. So it's, it's all in my head once again. Yeah, what we should and shouldn't say, and actually what we realise is that when we are just being who we are, unapologetically so, that somehow, or somehow, that that, that actually we start to create what we really want and, and we realise that actually that was probably the best path anyway. Yeah. And people respect us for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then there may be people that don't, but the ones that we're doing the work with are the ones that we want to, yeah. It's not for everybody, right? So no, right. Yeah. Right. So, JP, what have you learned about experimenting and playing and giving yourself permission to do stuff that you wouldn't have done in the past? Like, what have you learned from doing those sorts of things? I mean, this one that we're talking about right now, I'm right in the midst of it. But let and me tell you about what I'm yeah. what I'm learning on the inside from this journey of experimenting and exploring with giving myself permission. I'm learning that there's no real risk. My coach is helping me to see this because no matter what, I'm always creating. And so what that means is that even if I do something that lands for somebody in a way that that doesn't work for them, doesn't feel good and they don't like, I'm either never going to know or it's going to come back to me as their distaste. Maybe they tell me or they do something. And that moment that I'm so afraid of, of them like not liking or something is actually just a, a neutral opportunity for me to create a loving experience. And so even the, the bad things, quote unquote, that could happen, they're not actually bad until they go into me and I judge them as bad. So nothing could come back that's negative. So nothing bad could even happen unless I, when it comes to me, I judge it as that. And so all I could do is create happenings that are neutral and I can meet them however I would love to meet them. And I can use that moment of that opportunity of a happening that comes back to create something beautiful. And so I'm starting to turn all the things that before that sounded like scary into opportunities to create something loving. That's so awesome because what I'm really hearing in that is freedom, right? Freedom, just create what you want in the way that you want to without the shoulds. It's just that, that what you shared before, that heartfelt desire without there being the limitations there because you can create it in any which way you want in the way you want to. Yes. You're not afraid yes. of this foregone conclusion future which hasn't even happened yet that's right well any last words before we i want to say shut this podcast down but um <laughs> shut this joy through. down baby oh, yeah. <laughs> before we end the joy before we end the joy forever before we yeah. go back to their miserable lives no i'm joking yeah like until the next episode of the podcast until the next episode turns yeah, until <laughs> then, right? No way. <laughs> Take all this joy with you, our friendly listeners. <laughs> that would be my, those would be my final words. Take all this joy with you because while you think you've been getting it from this podcast, you haven't been creating it. Keep doing that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, JP. And if people want to connect with you, uh, how can they do that? So JP Morgan Jr. It's JP Morgan Jr. dot com is my website. Or if you take that same JP Morgan Jr. put it in any social media platform, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you'll find me there as well. That's kind of my handle online. And uh, yeah, reach out, follow along, connect, say hi. I have lots of stuff I'm doing and creating in the coaching area. So I'd love to support anybody. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, my love. And uh, big kiss to, to Countner and to your little one. All right. I will do. Thank you, Marina. And there you have it. Another wonderful episode of The Joy of Being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek. <laughs>